Welcome back to another episode of Talking Shop. I'm your host, Gary Putnick, and after our brief hiatus, we are back, and I am joined by Thomas Martinez, the deputy sports editor of the FSU, to go over some Florida State football and their week one matchup against Boise State and Jacksonville. We will also be going over the rest of the college football schedule and what to look forward to in this game against Boise State. Let's jump right into it. Welcome back to another episode of Talking Shop, and this week, Florida State football's biggest opponent will not be Boise State. It will, in fact, be another hurricane. And, Thomas, how are you feeling about this hurricane that's coming our way? Possibly a hurricane. Who knows? It's, it's some of the same that we've seen in previous years. Two out of the last three years, Florida State football being impacted by a potential hurricane or at least a tropical storm. Um, a few years ago against the Canes, having to have that game in Miami moved back. And now this year, um, talk about the Boise State game potentially being moved up. Yeah, and you weren't here for that game against Miami. That was my freshman year, your senior year of high school. But that game, it really shifted. Like That was also uh, NC State got moved around. Louisiana Monroe got moved to the end of the season, who FSU will face possibly in week two, all dependent on what happens with this tropical storm or hurricane. But it was really just a weird time here at FSU. So it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out. Obviously, right now, it's projected to hit around Jacksonville and the tropical storm force winds are going to be getting to the east coast of Florida, the northeast coast of Florida around Saturday at 8 p.m. So there are rumblings that the game could be moved up and that's the most likely option at the moment. I think it's either noon or 3, 3.30ish. So I think that would be good for all the fans that are going down there, but still, I'd, it'd be better that this thing just doesn't show up. <laughs> right. Um, it Yeah, that is true, but um, <laughs> Florida State football will also be excited if they do get to play earlier in the same day by the fact that they might be playing in some unfavorable conditions. I know I sent you a video of um, what appeared to be Boise State's kicker. Um, he was kicking field goals, and his teammates were, they were getting water bottles, and they were spraying it on top of the football to kind of simulate Florida's rainy conditions. I personally don't think that that's going to do the job, and Boise might not be feeling too well about the conditions. Yeah, I saw, yeah, I saw that video this morning. It's it's a bit concerning for me that that's what they think the weather conditions are going to be like. I know I saw them. I noticed that they were also spraying the water on the ground right before where the kicker would be stepping, but still, it's going to be a li- little bit more than a drizzle, if anything, if that when that storm gets coming around Jacksonville. But who knows? It could end up hitting Tallahassee, or possibly Tallahassee. It could end up hitting Jacksonville. Hopefully, everyone stays safe during this time, this weekend, into Labor Day weekend. But let's get back into let's get back into where Boise State stands coming into this game. They come in with a lot of holes in their offense, minus their offensive line. All their offensive line is returning this year, but they lose their quarterback, running back, and three wide receivers. So those are a lot of holes that they got to learn to fill, especially with their quarterback position, because Brett Ripien, who is the Mountain West all-time passing yards leader, is gone, and now they're starting a freshman. So things are going to be interesting, to say the least, for that. So... They, they lose a heralded quarterback, and now they start their first true freshman since Kellen Moore, who is famously the winningest quarterback in NCAA Division One history. But for Hank Backmeyer, who, um, who's 
the freshman quarterback. Um, he has a he has large shoes to fill in filling Ripien. I mean, he's taking over an offense that's been known to put up points over the years. The good thing for him is not only does he have that great offensive line um, coming back from a year ago, but he also has a defense that was among the best in the nation last year. Probably, I, I believe they were top thirty in points allowed, at least points allowed per game. Um, so he does have that to fall back on. Boise State also has the fact that they, it was a competition for Bachmeyer to win the job. There's Chase Cord, redshirt sophomore, and a redshirt senior, Jalen Henderson, um, who's been at Boise for two years. Um, he was a junior college transfer, so they do have options. Um, their co- their coach talked about potentially playing more than one quarterback in the game on Saturday. So Florida State has to prepare for everything, essentially. And with that QB competition that they had, I believe they had five scholarship quarterbacks coming into spring ball. I think between those five, only they had only 10 pass attempts. So very little game experience, in-game experience, and especially big game experience, which this is, I consider it kind of a big game, considering it's going to be, as of right now, when we're recording on Wednesday morning at 7 p.m. on ESPN in Jacksonville. But... I still think they could. That pressure could end up getting to the quarterbacks, whether it be Chase Cord or Hank Bachmeyer. But it'll just be interesting to see how that all plays out. And carrying on, I think that offensive line with them is really going to be what's going to help it. I think if Hank Bachmeyer uh, starts the whole game and plays the whole game, I think it's really going to be a testament to that O line helping him slow the game, helping slow the game down for him and letting him go through his progressions and even make some good decisions, whether it be to run and take off or to give it and give and go if they do RPO style. And while Boise State's offensive line does have experience, they don't have too much experience against defensive fronts like that of Florida State. Um, they, they don't have too much experience facing 346 nose guards like Robert Hooper and Marvin Wilson, 311 pounds, arguably Florida State's best defensive lineman and best defensive player. Uh, they have a lot. They have a lot ahead of them. Yeah, that and carrying over to their defense, they they were going to be running more of a three-four defense this year. They've lost their defensive coordinator, Andy Vallis, who's left for Oregon, and it'll be interesting to see where this kind of defense moves because. If they're running a three-four, they got three guys on the O line, four linebackers, or three guys on the defensive line, four linebackers, or four guys set back, and it's going to be some interesting blitz packages that they're going to bring to the table because it's going to be more speed rushes and kind of bull rush schemes. So I don't know how it's really going to affect FSU's offensive line because it's still kind of develop. It's a still developing offensive line because now. Looking at some of the depth charts we've seen, Dante Lucas could be starting. Babyon Johnson, who has had very little game experience, could be starting. And then you have Brady Scott, who's also had time, Ryan Roberts, and Juwan Williams. So I don't know how this offensive line is really going to adapt because I assume there's going to be some more complex packages being run by Boise. Yeah, there seems to be a great cloud over this entire game as a whole because you have Florida State's offense under a new offensive coordinator in Kendall Bryles trying to implement this high-powered offense that should put up 40 points a game at least because that's what he seems to bring to every team that he goes to. But there's always the unpredictability of game day and the conditions. And who knows, this game can turn into just... It could turn into a bloodbath. 
It yeah. could just turn into both teams just running the ball down the gut. Could, who knows what we're going to get on Saturday. It could be some good old hard-nosed football, run the dang gum ball, yeah. and just try and punch it up the gut every single time. But who knows? I One thing that I think could actually also play into this game and how the outcome ends up being is special teams. Boise State lost their kicker, and so they have the same guy, Joel Vasquez, most likely to be their kicker and punter this weekend. So it I don't know where, I don't know how much time, I haven't really looked into him as much, but if he's very little starting experience, it could maybe play a big enough factor to where it could mean the difference, whether it be a muffed uh, snap, and which results in FSU getting a big tackle. It could mean a missed field goal or two. Who knows? Right. And uh, Boise State's multiple offensive scheme, which essentially it, the whole point of that offense is being able to run multiple sets with you know several tight ends or several wide receivers. It's it might get mixed up by the fact that the weather for Saturday's game is not going to be favorable for them, especially now with the multiple offensive scheme. Does that kind of play? Is that really more of uh, is that kind of like FSU, how they've been running it, where it's in the pistol the majority of the time, or is it un- does it kind of go back with uh, under the center and then back into shotgun play action? Because I know FSU, when they've been running more of their quote-unquote high-powered offense, it's been out of the gun every single time. I've, I think maybe Francois maybe took maybe two or three snaps under center all of last year. So it's very rare to see them go under the center. I believe it. I believe from what I've read, it varies for Boise State's offense. But again, on Saturday, it's going to be interesting to see how they counter the conditions that they're really not used to. And for Florida State as well, Boise State's not going to be the only team playing in these conditions, and mm-hmm. Florida State's going to have to deal with these issues as well. And some would argue that Boise State has the advantage in the fact that Florida State is still trying to implement something with a new quarterback as mm-hmm. well, with an offensive line that is not nearly as experienced, and as you said, still had some uncertainty going into this game at several positions. Um, so for both teams, there's a lot of uncertainty, and that's what comes at the beginning of any college football season. I mean, you looked at the Florida-Miami game last week. Mm-hmm. Florida is a team that's coming off a New Year's Six Bowl win, a dominant win against Michigan, and, like handily. Right, and no, they sacked they sacked Miami's quarterback Jaron Williams ten times. They still only won the game by four points. So that's just unpredictability of August uh, or early September college football. Yeah, and that's why we love football, and that's why we that's why we watch these games so intently. It's it's gonna it's it's just weird to see this all coming together because you never really expect to see Florida State play these kind of teams like Boise State, who kind of bring that were the underdog mentality even though a lot of teams do come into playing Florida State with that underdog mentality Boise State is that much lower on that scale because they're from the Mountain West they're the not they're a group of five school and they always kind of get looked down upon kind of like the UCFs they were UCF honestly before UCF with their whole chance at may possibly reaching the BCS ultimately being stopped by it was in Nevada that one year when I think they opened up the year as the number three team in the rankings, and then they lost to Nevada late season. 
Right. Uh, during Kellen Moore's four years at Boise State, he went 50-3. and three. All three of those games were essentially decided by a missed field goal by Boise State. So if they had a good kicker, a lot of their fans argue that Kellen Moore could have gone undefeated, and he did go undefeated in one of those years. Mm. Uh, but speaking to this whole scheduling of non-conference games in general, when Boise scheduled Florida State a few years back, I'm sure they thought that they'd be getting a more marquee opponent than what they're getting now. Um, Florida State coming off their worst season in 40 years. And while there is a lot of optimism around this team, which comes with having an offensive coordinator who's proven elsewhere and with a head coach who does a good job of uh, hyping up the fan base. Mm-hmm. But it's going to be interesting to see how fans show up at Jacksonville as well, as well because of the weather conditions. It's going to be interesting to see. Yeah, I've been reading, trying to read up on what the ticket sales have been for this game and what they're going to look like going into the weekend. And as of right now, I think I've been hearing a lot of like in the 40,000s. I know, I think TIAA Stadium is about 60-some thousand. So it's going to be just obviously under a couple thousand under a sellout. More than a couple thousand, actually. But uh, it's going to be, it's going to drop significantly if this tropical storm keeps threatening because a lot of fans will be like, I don't want to go down there and then get risk being, and risk being stuck in a hurricane or a tropical storm. And I think, and I, I know we're on the same kind of wavelength with those people because we're going to be driving over there on, I know I'll be going over there on Saturday morning. I don't know about you. And if it's still a Saturday night game, it's going to be a bit concerning because that means on Sunday morning we're going to be driving through tropical storm or hurricane conditions. So I don't even know if we'd be even able to leave. Yeah, I, I definitely wouldn't bet on the game going on at 7 p.m., but it just makes you wonder if this was just a straight home game for Florida State, what we'd be talking about going into this game. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know a lot of people in the Florida State fan base are not happy about this game being played in Jacksonville. And motivation might not be as high as it usually would be for a large alumni base in Florida to go out and watch their alma mater play Boise State, a team that they've never played. Uh, but, you know, this game could be that game that brings back that motivation for people to go to Doak later in the mm-hmm. year and watch the Seminoles, albeit for a rather weak home schedule. Yeah, and going on back to what you said about not being able to, or not having played Boise in previous years. We had, FSU has two games in two seasons against Boise State, and I thought the scheduling was kind of weird. I understand that Boise probably didn't want to try and schedule a home game at Doak Campbell for Florida State, so they were able to try and negotiate a game in Jacksonville. But next season, right after Florida State opens up the year in Atlanta against West Virginia, they'll be traveling all the way to little Boise, Idaho to play on that blue turf. And I know if... I'm still able to. I will most likely try and go to that game because I want I, the blue turf. The blue turf is just something you gotta see once in your life. It's one. It's, I think it's like the eighth wonder of the world. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, eighth wonder of the world. Yeah, I, I know. I'm not as excited about that um, as as you are. Mm-hmm. The fact that a small time program, or not a small time program, yeah, definitely a small time program compared to Florida State and Boise. Uh, getting a home game whereas Florida State has to travel two and a half hours away from their home Mm -hmm. it it just doesn't seem favorable it doesn't seem to make sense for the outsider not even for a Florida State Seminole fan but for anyone to see this and go why doesn't Florida State get a home game well I kind of thought of it as uh, how uh, Florida and UCF had been going back and forth with their dispute on whether or not the game is going to be at UCF or at the Citrus Bowl and then they I think it's two at Florida and one at the Citrus Bowl, so 
UCF tried to play it better, but Florida ultimately it sounded like they strong armed strong armed them into doing it because Florida probably had the upper hand and said, "Hey, you want to play with the big boys? You want to get into that national championship ultimately at the end of the day?" And they're like, "You got to come play in the swamp." So. Florida State, I don't know how they didn't have that leverage. I don't know exactly when these games were scheduled, but if they were scheduled around the 2013 season, I don't know how they weren't able to strong-arm Boise State into playing in Doak. So. And, I mean, a lot of that goes back to the fact that Jimbo Fisher, one of Jimbo Fisher's larger initiatives as a head coach was to get these neutral site games. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if we were, we were actually just looking at Florida State's future non-conference schedule non-conference schedules and there's still a lot of uncertainty over who and where we're going to play over the next three to five years but the good thing is that no matter where we play Florida State can you know they can they can control how they play and one factor or probably the largest factor is quarterback play and James Blackman announced quarterback starting quarterback uh, earlier this week I want to get your thoughts about that because I know that there wasn't supposed to be or at least from an outsider's eye there didn't seem to be a competition but it might have been closer than many people thought I think it was close a lot closer than a lot of people are going to think I know I talked about this on Tomahawk Talk which is V89's FM radio show 7 to 8 p.m. on 89.7 FM but I think it was close because of the fact that I had heard rumors coming about that Hornibrook was putting in the work in the film room. He was trying his hardest. He was getting out there and working after practice and doing everything he had to do to try and earn this job. And it could have been that Blackman could have been slacking off, but I doubt that. I think Blackman has this, has that sense of urgency in his head. He knows this is his chance to really prove himself because he's able to start from day one and know that he is the starter, and everyone is going to know that. And he is that leader in the locker room as well. So I think I think Taggart really had to make Blackman the starting quarterback solely because if he didn't, that locker room was going to, it could turn on him because, I mean, we saw right after they announced that Blackman was the starting quarterback, they announced the captains and Blackman's the offensive captain. I think he got nominated unanimously, I would assume unanimously by the rest of his roster. So I don't know really where it's going to go from him this year. Ultimately, it'll still come down to the offensive line and how he's able to judge that and being able to work with that timing. But how do you feel about this situation? Well, I think the fact that, you know, Willie Taggart had another year to recruit an offensive line and, you know, despite the recruiting not going as well as many people would envision, uh, James Blackman has a lot of options on offense, even more so than last year. Even though it's some of the same, it's players who have another year of training under their belt in Willie Tiger and Kendall Bryles offensive scheme. What I'm looking at is Cam Akers and Kalen Laybourne being able to balance out the passing attack. Laybourne had one of the offensive highlights for Florida State in their opening game against Virginia Tech last year, which ended in 24-3 defeat, but he did show flashes of who he can be for the Florida State Seminoles. So I think that Blackman, if he has a running game to open up the pass for him, I think that his ceiling is probably higher than any other quarterback in the state of Florida. Also, given the fact that he has another year and at least two years with Tamori and Terry, who proved to be one of the best receivers in the ACC 
last season in the one game that Blackman started last year, which was against NC State. He threw for four touchdowns and I believe over 400 yards. And Terry had a bulk of those yards compared to the other Florida State receivers. So I think that the outlook is bright for Blackman and for the Seminoles offense. But again, I think a lot of things can be random, especially in the first game of the year when there's a hurricane on the way. Mm-hmm. And yeah, well, obviously the rain can play a factor into that passing game. But with tomorrow and Terry, how much do you think of now that like the tape is kind of out on him, how much do you think it's really going to affect him? Because I mean, there's going to be more double covers on him. He's going to have a lot more, he's going to have tighter coverage now that he's going to be the number one wide receiver, I'd assume. But how do you see that playing out for him? Honestly, that might be good, though, because he could be just as effective as a decoy as he mm-hmm. could be as the guy who gets you over 100 yards and a touchdown or two per game because you have DJ Matthews, you have Keyshawn Helton, you have Keith Gavin, Treshawn Harrison, even in his limited time last year, he proved flashes of who he can be. So honestly, I think there's a lot of talent in the wide receiver room for the Seminoles and at tight end with Trey McKitty as well. I think that... I think that James Blackman's going to have a lot of options. And if there is that one guy into Morian Terry who can draw secondaries away from other guys, I think that that only helps the Browse offense, whose whole offensive scheme is about getting teams off balance. Mm-hmm. And with and going back to Keith Gavin, he really kind of, it felt like didn't do too much last year. He played nine games. He had 26 receptions for 415 yards. Where do you see him kind of developing throughout this year? Because, I mean, this is going to be a huge year for him and his development. It's his senior year. It's really his time to prove who he's going to be. So um, the fact that Tamorian Terry is, as you said earlier, you know, going to draw a lot of eyes away from other receivers, I think Gavin can become that established number two receiver for the Seminoles. So I, I, th- I think there's a lot of room for improvement for him, as you said based off last season. Mm -hmm. I think that DJ Matthews too. I think DJ Matthews is the guy that I think among all the wide receivers can have that jump from last year, a season in which I think he was pretty successful compared to Mm -hmm. other wide receivers. I think that he could improve even more this season. Well, where do you, so who do you like? If I'm giving you your number two option as wide receiver, let's say tomorrow on Terry's number one, DJ Matthews or Keith Gavin, who do you think that uh, Blackman and Taggart and Bryles are going to look to to be that number two. Based on what I've heard from Bryles and Taggart, they really like DJ Matthews. Mm-hmm. Bryles really likes DJ Matthews. Matthews might be Florida State's fastest wide receiver, and Bryles' offense is about fast, fast, fast. I think that he fits perfectly in this offensive scheme, and I think we might really see that this year. Yeah, and last year he got utilized a lot kind of as just a screen receiver. And so he didn't rack up as many yards, obviously, because I would say I would call it poor blocking on the wide receiving end of the page. But I think he, if they got to start utilizing him more in that kind of slant route, quick slot kind of guy that he is. And I think he could really bust out for some big yards if you just give him just a little bit of space to do something. Because obviously last year, every time he would get the ball, the ball would be snapped to Francois. Francois would check down right, toss it to the screen. And then Matthews would catch it and be hit right off the bat. So he wouldn't have any chance to make a move. And he's got that quick footwork. He's got those quick twitch muscles. And he's just not given the opportunity to use them. So I think he's got a good chance at, like you said, breaking out this year. And obviously, I think with the help of uh, 
Caleb Laburn coming back from that injury, and maybe even I, I think Acres. I don't even know. Do you think Acres could possibly even get uh, superseded by Caleb sometime this year as the number one back? Even though I know Cam as his freshman year broke the freshman uh, yards rushing record for Florida State. I think they will be split, splitting time at least because I know that with Bryles' offense, he usually does substitutions between series and not mm-hmm. as many during a series when you're running the hurry up offense. So I think there I mean there'll obviously be more opportunities for him this year considering he was out all of last year, but I think that if he does prove to be the more consistent running back earlier in the season, there's no reason for why he couldn't supersede Cam Akers in the depth chart, but honestly a lot of it is I think they're going to get split touches. Like a lot of the wide receivers as well. So you think we're going to be seeing series that are going to go Acres for the whole time, then Labor and switch it off back and forth. I, I would still I would still argue that Cam Akers is going to get more touches, especially earlier yeah, on in course. the season because he's proven himself at least in his freshman season to be a consistent running back. But yeah, I think they're going to split touches. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we all know Acres and Labor and have that both big play potential. And it's just Cam Akers felt like he took a huge step back last year, obviously, because of the offensive line and blocking issues. And one other thing, I know we talked about this as well on, I don't know, you weren't on Tomahawk Talk, but I mentioned this there. I really think they could go back and bring the Wildcat back into it. I know they ran it one or two, one time. It was just one time against Notre Dame last, uh, last season. You're also forgetting Cam Akers running the Wildcat on fourth and goal against Virginia Tech. Oh, there you go. Yeah, see, I forget. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I kind of want, I guess I wanted to block that one out. Yeah. But yeah, I think there's room for that to come back. I I really do believe so, especially because Akers was a quarterback in high school and he did put up some big numbers, if we don't remember, if lest we forget. <laughs> yeah, I mean, part of that was, I don't know how smart it was to break out the Wildcat with a shoddy offensive line in the first game against Virginia Tech. Mm-hmm. Maybe in year two, your offensive line, possibly a little bit better. With Cam Akers with another year under his belt, I think he would definitely have a better chance of doing this. Uh, but yeah, I think that Kendall Bryles is... If, if I were to sum up this entire Kendall Bryles offensive scheme, it, he came. He comes from Houston... He was at Baylor before. He was also at Florida at Atlantic University. He was at FAU. FAU. <laughs> he brought FAU their best season in program mm-hmm. history. But Bryles came to Florida State and he said that this is the most talent he's ever had on one team. And if you put that into perspective, this man has he's coached offenses to the most points per game in college football. Houston was at or near the top last year. They they scored, I believe, 43 or more points a game last season. FAU was near the top. Baylor was near the top or at the top. So Florida State Seminoles fans, they should have sky-high expectations for this offense given his recent his recent track record. But there's also the fact that you're coming off a 5-7 and seven and 7-6 seven and six season. Mm-hmm. You're coming off the end of a coaching tenure before that it didn't frankly end well. So there's still a lot of growth to be had in this program, but I think the higher of Bryles might be that difference maker that takes Florida State Seminoles football to a level that it's been in the past, or at least a step closer to where it's been in the past this year. Mm-hmm. And I think Bryles, I think, like you said, he has that potential to grow and change his team, but ultimately when he said that he has all those athletes, 
and this is the best talent he's ever had, when you're running such a fast-paced system and there's a lot of moving parts involved, it becomes, do you have the smartest guys in that system? Because if you don't have the guys who can think quickly and think on their toes and understand what's going on and read the packages and change up and call audibles, it's going to fail because you can't just run in there and say, okay, we're just going to keep running the ball, running the ball, running the ball, pass the ball, pass the ball, pass the ball. And you're just going to get beat every single time on that. So they really have to be able to know and recognize certain things that are happening around them. And it'll be, and once again, it'll be different to see that from this team because it really didn't feel like they made those, or didn't feel like they made the right adjustments last year. I don't know if you felt the same way about that, but that's how I've been feeling on this. Yeah, it'd be understandable for fans to have reservations about the team improving under Bryles, given the fact that this is a lot of the same players that quit on the team in Willie Tiger's eyes during a Clemson game that ended 59-10, to but was, I believe, tied, or it was 3-0 Clemson after the first quarter. Mm-hmm. Uh, Browse's offense, it's all hand signals. There's not much of a playbook. It's basically depending on his players' talent and their wherewithals to make plays in space quickly and mm-hmm. to catch defenses off guard. Uh, from what I've heard, T- Tiger and Bryles are saying that the offense is has been very receptive to these changes. There's obviously no way to know until you actually see the product on the field how well they're going to be. But in my eyes, there's no reason why they shouldn't be as potent of an offense as the other places where Bryles has gone. And we'll see that come Saturday afternoon, Saturday night, maybe who knows, Saturday mid-afternoon. And so let's jump into these predictions for this game. I know I made my predictions earlier this week. I have Florida State winning 30-22. to 22. I chose a difficult football number to achieve. No one's picking that number in the Florida State media. I guarantee it, except for me. So I'm sticking with my number. I like 30-22 to 22 Florida State in this game. I said Blackman is going to throw for about 275 yards. I believe I said two touchdowns and a pick. Correct me if I'm wrong. But... That's what I'm looking for this game, and I think I've, I I feel like that's a good that's got a good chance of happening. I'd say Blackman was also my MVP. That's why I gave out those statistics there. So I just wanted to get your thoughts and your how you were feeling going into this one. So I've already predicted that Florida State's going to win. I haven't made a score prediction, but I'm going to hear it. <laughs> I'm going I'm to say that they win 23 to 14. I say that Aguayo misses an extra point in the rain. Uh, Boise's a kicker. He makes both extra points. The the practicing with, the, with the water bottles helps. Uh, I think at the end of the day, Florida State is more accustomed, obviously, to playing in the rain. They have more talent than Boise State. Boise State is starting a true freshman. The Seminoles are not starting a true freshman. Mm-hmm. And I, I really think that the deciding factor in this game and this season as a whole is the offense's receptiveness to Bryles' offense. And while we probably won't see the extent to which he can make this offense great in the first game, especially if the conditions are the way that we think they are going to be on Saturday, I think that his offense gets it done enough to beat Boise. All right, and so we both have Florida State winning this game outright. If Florida State loses, what's the one thing that goes wrong for this team? Not not the O-line. Granted, let's just say not the O-line. I know you were going to say the O-line. So let's say anything but the O-line, what goes wrong? Well, I think maybe they won't be prepared. Maybe it'll be a repeat of Virginia Tech from last year where they're just undisciplined on both mm-hmm. sides of the ball. I could definitely see that happening with 
a new offensive scheme with playing in difficult conditions against a opponent that you're unfamiliar with, I could see that being mm-hmm. the case. Yeah, I would probably go with that. They would come in too cocky, and they would say, it's just Boise State. We know we know we can hang with the big dogs in ACC and maybe the SEC, depending on the day. But I think they could just get too much in their own selves and Boise State just come in there punching in the mouth first and kind of stun Florida State. And they just kind of sit back and like, what the heck just happened? And by the time they realize what just happened, it could be 14 nothing. Right. So it was a lot of what we saw last year. Exactly. So it could just end up being more of the same. Hopefully for Florida State fans, it's not that case, but who knows at the end of the day. That's why we're just making predictions. That's why we don't make money while gambling, because we don't know the outcome. <laughs> right. So and let's so going back, let's go into the rest of the college football schedule that we have for this weekend. It's week number one of the regular season. I know we had week zero last year or last week. We had Miami play Florida in one heck of a game down there in Orlando, say the least. It was definitely a memorable <clears throat> game in Orlando. Yeah, memorable for all the wrong reasons. But it was still a fun game to watch. I on that game, I'm gonna give my little two cents on that game. Felipe Franks he did not have the right to act the way he did <laughs> at the end of that game with kicking the football into the stands, yelling around. After he played the way he did, it just looked pitiful that game. I don't know. It he looked good early on. He looked like I was like, okay, maybe Felipe can step it up. Maybe he's doing something. Maybe he's a changed man. But then we just saw Felipe come right back. I said it once Miami missed that field goal in the fourth quarter. Yeah, it was the fourth quarter with about four minutes left. I said, just wait, Felipe can always throw a pick right here. And then first pick, first play, why, why they didn't run the ball still baffles me. But he threw the first pick, he proved me right, and I was like, well, there's Felipe again. <laughs> yeah. my, my main takeaway from that game, having grown up in Miami and followed the Miami Hurricanes throughout my childhood, mm-hmm. uh, Manny Diaz's team, they looked better than most people thought they would look but the Gators obviously looked worse than people thought they would look I think Miami has a lot of talent to look forward to I personally felt bad for their linebacking trio of Shaquille Quarterman Zach McLeod and Michael Pinkney they've all been there they've all started since true freshmen they're all they're all seniors now and their team still their offense they still don't have an offense that can support that great defense of theirs I think Miami it has a lot of talent to look forward to in future years. Uh, they have one of the best tight ends, I, I would argue, in the nation, in Brevin Jordan. Okay. One of the most talented tight ends in the nation. Mm-hmm. If you if you just see him, you know that guy's going to be a first or second round pick to the NFL. But there's still a lot of holes for them to overcome. It's Honestly, I don't think they're going to be as good as a, lo- a lot of their irrational mm-hmm. fans think they're going to be this year. But... It was, it was definitely a great start to college football. Yeah, I it was fun to say the least. I enjoyed watching that game. I laughed. I cried. I <laughs> It was a whole range of emotions for that game, considering I'm not the biggest fan of either of these two teams. Right, let's put right. it that way. I know you have your biases. There is some little bias for, I guess, us, we could say, considering Manny Diaz used went to Florida State and was also the sports editor for the FS View. So. Which means you're going to be the head coach of the Miami Hurricanes in like 20 years. I guess so. I'm excited, to say the least, to go that down there and coach. I'm just waiting on the call from whoever it may be. Hopefully Howard Schnellenberger is still alive because I, <laughs> I, I, love, I love Howard Schnellenberger personally of because course. of what he did at FAU. But, hey, maybe he gives me the call up one day and I can 
implement whatever the heck scheme I want down there. And I, I maybe I would tank against Florida State, but who knows? But let's the rest of the schedule that we got for this week. I know we have our fun here with joking about Miami and Florida and their struggles at least, but we can also worry about Florida State's own struggles. So I, we got games tomorrow night on Thursday. We have the rain, the sorry the twenty seven I yeah twenty seventeen national champions UCF taking on Florida A and M right team from Tallahassee of course. I think UCF's about a 36-point favorite at this game going into it. Obviously, we don't think Florida A&M has a really chance to win, but we'd love to see Coach Willie and the boys do well down there, considering we do have their two Willies as football coaches in, right. the town of Tall- in the city of Tallahassee. So hopefully, fam, you can maybe pull out an upset there. I'd like to see it, but I don't even know if they're – I think UCF might even cover at the end of the day. I don't know. What do you think? Do you think I UCF could see, I could see UCF winning by forty plus in this game. That that'd be a tough look for Florida A and M. I would like to see Florida State play Florida A and M on their non conference schedule. Yeah, that's a little bit of an aside. No, that would be fun because we never. There's never really that kind of like cross town rivalry. I mean, like obviously both teams or both schools. I wouldn't call it even a rivalry at that point. How because, about starting the year against Florida A and M? Yeah, like it would be a, kind of a fun way to get the year going because I don't think any. Neither of these teams have ill will against each other. I think everyone kind of has a mutual respect for one another. I believe the Florida A&M coaches were at Semmel's practice in spring, just yeah. trying to learn from them. Exactly. I think there's that mutual relationship between the two. And then also that night, we also, there's also Clemson. They're opening up the season in uh, Death Valley against Georgia Tech on the ACC Network. We don't even know if we're going to be able to watch that game, considering I, I've tried to watch the ACC, ACC Network on the app. And it just doesn't work. So ACC Network still doing well, apparently, maybe, I don't know. And then there's also Utah-BYU. That was another game on Thursday night that I'm kind of interested in because of the hype that's kind of been built up around Utah. I don't know if you've heard the same kind of rumblings going on I from believe, I believe west. there west. Yeah, I believe there were some people on ESPN who were picking the you know the favorites, Clemson, mm-hmm. Alabama, Georgia, to go to the Final Four, and I believe somebody picked Utah to be that fourth team. Yeah, I the everyone's like pencil in Utah as your sleeper this year. I think too many people have penciled in Utah as their sleeper for them to actually be a sleeper now. I have to watch them play. I, I yeah, I, mean, I, I frankly haven't watched exactly. Utah play. No, same. That's why I wanted. That's why I think this game is kind of interesting. It's a ten fifteen start time, so it's going to be that classic pack after dark, but kind of yeah. So, and then also Friday night, there really isn't anything really to talk about. I mean, Michigan Tulsa. If you want to go there, Oregon State Oklahoma State, that could be pretty cool to watch. And then Saturday, we dive right into the meat of it all. We got Alabama, Duke. I think that's at 3 o'clock. That's on ABC. That's going to be a bloodbath, let's put it to put it nicely. Really, I don't know how you th- what you feel on that one. Well, Alabama's playing at home in Atlanta for that one. Yeah, at home. <laughs> and, and Duke, uh, they're still trying to replace Daniel Jones, who's actually played quite well in the preseason, despite what people thought for the New York Giants. But... I wouldn't be surprised if Alabama wins this game like 48-14 or something along those lines. There's no way that Duke's talent can match up against Alabama's NFL talent. So I don't think many people believe that that game's going to be any close. But I think a game that can be close is Oregon facing Auburn in Jerry's Mm -hmm. world. 
that's probably the biggest game of the weekend in many people in many people's eyes. Uh, we have Herb, Herbert, the starter quarterback for Oregon, who could have been arguably the number one pick in the NFL draft last season, coming back for another year with Mario Cristobal. I think that this is going to be an interesting game. I mean, they have a huge chess against an SEC opponent. Exactly. And uh, Auburn just named their starting quarterback, I believe, last week. And Bo Nix, he's a freshman. The Auburn is starting a freshman in this game against Oregon. And it's going to just like Boise State. Uh, granted, both of these two teams, I'd say, are on different levels. But how is Bo Nix even going to come in, I don't even know what kind of pressure he's going to be facing considering that's about, was it 80, it feels like a 70,000 person stadium down there, so it's going to be a loud atmosphere, granted it'll probably be majority Auburn fans, but it'll still be cool to see how that all plays out down there in Jerry's world. I think one thing that could also uh, bode well for Oregon is that a lot, Auburn's filling a lot of holes this year on offense. So they I think they're only returning about two or three on their starting offense or yeah, two or three about on their starting offensive line or so. And then they gotta replace tight end, running back, and two of their three wide receivers. So they got some holes to fill as well, just like Boise State really. And I let's give one prediction for this for one of these games. I let's do this game of course because it's the marquee game of the night. It's the biggest it's the only ranked matchup I believe this weekend. So, I don't know. What do you got for this one? Well, Auburn right now is a three-and-a-half-point favorite. I would personally pick Oregon to win this game just based on the fact that they have the best player on the field. And as you said, Auburn has much more uncertainty uh, surrounding their team. I could see Oregon winning this in a high scoring. I, I believe this game ends in the 30s. I see, I don't know, 38-31 to 31 Oregon. <sighs> I like that. I like the sound of a high-scoring game. I'm all for high-scoring football games, and I think I think I like it. I like Oregon winning this one as well. I think they got a good chance at winning. I, they really I think are ready to take that next step and make a push for the college football playoff because we haven't seen a Pac-12 team since Washington got smoked by Alabama in 2016, I believe, 2016 or 2017, one of those two years. But it just feels so long since we've had a kind of an even kind of four in the college ball playoff. Right, and the over under for this game is fifty six. I know that when you, I, I know that you like to usually take the over. Mm-hmm. Over taking my, the over in this one. Over, yeah, over, yeah, over fifty six. I think that's a good choice there. I know was it ESPN looks to have their football power index has Auburn's the favorite fifty three point four percent to forty six point or forty six point six. I think we're going to flip on that. I don't believe they're going to be able to get this one over the Ducks' head. So I think that's what we got for that one. I don't know. Is there any other game that you noticed on the schedule for this weekend? Honestly, I think that it's a pretty weak opening week for college football, <laughs> especially the fact that they moved forward to Miami up a week. But, um, man, that was the biggest game of the week. Is that? I think that's where college game day is going to be probably, right? Yes. Game day will be down in Arlington, Texas. But also we have, I think what it could also be an interesting game, Sunday night, we do have Sunday night football. No, it is not the NFL, but instead it is Houston and Oklahoma. It'll be cool to see how Kendall Bryles' departure really affects Houston and what Jalen Hurts can do in Lincoln Riley's new system and see how he grows. Because a lot of people are saying that he could poss- Hurts could maybe end up winning the Heisman this year or is in Heisman contention. Three for three. So Oklahoma. Yeah, I mean, 
that would just cement Lincoln Riley in the record books for maybe one of the best one of the best early coaching careers of all time. Right. Granted, he didn't win a national championship, but if you can produce three Heisman's in three years, that's pretty darn impressive to me. Right. Yeah, I, th- I think that's going to be an interesting game to say the least. Uh, it seems that everywhere that Bryles has gone, though, his offenses have struggled or at least taken a step or two back after he's left. So if I'm Oklahoma, I'm not too worried about that game, especially being played at Oklahoma. I think that Jalen Hurts gets a potential Heisman campaign off to a fast start. All right, and I think, uh, yeah, there's nothing really else I think we got to cover here. I think that is it. Thanks again for listening to Talking Chop. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you can find podcasts. Also, follow us at FSU Sports on Twitter for more amazing articles from our writers at the FSU and updates on the podcast. Thanks again. See you soon.